0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صل الله و سلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاة تنجينا بها من جميع أهوال والآفات وتقدينا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهيرنا بها من جميع السئات وترفعنا بها عندك على درجات وتبلغنا بها غايات من جميع خيرات في الحياة والبعد والآخر صلاة و عليك يا سيد يا رسول الله Welcome back Alhamdulillah, we're just over halfway through the month. Allah subhanahu wa taala accepts from all of us. Um, as I mentioned last time, <clears throat> say it in the beginning. Uh, if you'd like to go to sleep, there's no blame on you. No blame on you if you want to go to sleep. Just go to sleep. It's all good. Actually they say that sometimes uh, sometimes when you're like, well it doesn't really apply here but sometimes like when people go on spiritual trips and stuff, they might go to see certain shiuch or they go to places like Mecca, Medina, everything and they find themselves really tired they sleep a lot and they get really upset. Like, you know, I came here, I wasn't planning to sleep or slept all day. I'm just spending time with the shaykh or whatever else it might be. And oftentimes they'll say that actually, like, sometimes that happens. And in the sleep, there's, uh, like, spiritual refinement that happens. Like, a person is healing in their sleep. Not just physically, but sometimes spiritually as well. So, you know, it's Ramadan, it's after Asr, before Maghrib, very blessed time, subhanAllah. Sunday, you know, uh, so if you feel so inclined, go ahead. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim So, last time we finished only two people. Last time we did Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the hope is that today we might finish a little bit more <coughs> but nothing in life is guaranteed. So we'll see. we we'll start with uh, Abu Ja'far Muhammad ibn Ali ibn and Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhim as So this is Abu Ja'far, that's his, nick- his title or his nickname, right? He's the father of Ja'far and his name is Muhammad. The son of Ali, the son of Al Hussein, son of Ali, the son of Abu Talib, radiAllahu Anhu or Alayhi salam So last time, the last person we covered was who? Ali Ibn Hussein. This was Muhammad Ibn Ali Ibn Hussein. This is his son. So the last thing that we covered was that advice. He said, "My father gave me these five advices: don't be around these people, don't be around those people, so on and so forth." The person who told us that is the person whose biography this is. Hamid ibn Ali ibn Hussein. <coughs> <coughs> uh his mother, it's an interesting point. His mother, or sorry, Jafar his wife, the mother of Ja'far, and another brother, Abdullah, was um Farwa ibn Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. Did you catch the connection? <laughs> okay. So the two people we covered last time were who? An Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, right? And Ali ibn Hussein. Ibn Abi Ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. Okay. This person, Hamid ibn Ali, so his father is uh, Ali ibn Hussein, right? And his wife, uh, the mother of his of Jaffin is Farwa bint al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, the daughter of Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr ibn Muhammad ibn. So this is all like one family, right? These people are all distantly connected and stuff related. Uh, so there's a note to make in this. I mean, I don't want to turn this into polemics, but there's a reason why he's mentioning that. Uh, we don't have to get into the Shias this stuff. Leave it alone, and get along, inshallah. Pray together, eat together, have good lives, inshaAllah. So, here are some quotes. As we mentioned last time, when you read these biographies, especially in the old books, they're not usually narrative form. They come in quotes. There's a quote, there's a story, small pieces. First quote: Bismillah. On Abu Jafar. He's actually known usually as Abu Ja'far, Or he's known as Muhammad al-Baqir. He's uh, in for... Definitely for 12 Shias, he's one of the Imams. So so is Ali ibn Hussein. Capital I Imams. For Sunnis, he's an Imam. But lowercase i Imam. Again, we don't need to get into that stuff today. Take motivation instead. Abu Ja'far, he said... He said... There are basically things that befall the believer and the non-believer. People go through things in life. They go through things. So, but they don't afflict the dhakir the, A non-Muslim will be hit by things, a Muslim will be hit by things. Stuff happens. But the one who's dhakir the one who's always remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't happen to them. Someone will say, well, what about this, what about that, so on and so forth. There's always what about. (laughs) Social media, what aboutery, never ends. There's, of course, exceptions and stuff. But, still, even if the person is struck by the same thing, the person who's constant in remembering Allah, they're struck in a different way. It happens differently. They take it differently, it affects them differently, sometimes it hits them differently. They say, for example, when they talk about qadr, the, um, the decree, the fate, let's say fate, will go with fate for now. Something's meant to hurt, afflict somebody. it said that there's two types. There's a type of qadr that's mu'allaq and there's a type that's mubraq. It's a type that is suspended and there's a type that is occurring no, no matter what. The suspended type is the type that something was going to happen to a person if they were good to their parents it would go this way, if they weren't good to their parents, it would go this way. Someone, if something was going to happen to them, if they make a lot of istidfab, they ask a lot of forgiveness from Allah, it would go this way. If not, it swings this way. So it's mu'alla, it's like hanging, swings. can swing one way or the other. That's one type of qadr. Is it still decreed? It's still decreed. Whichever option it happens, it happens. The other one is it's going to happen either way. In that case, then there's other possibilities still. Still, for the, you know, because we have the issue, people always say Well, there's the decree, but there's du'a And the Prophet taught us that you make du'a And it, it affects the decree Like the decree could be descending And the person makes du'a And their du'a intercepts the decree It's like a spiritual equivalent of like a missile inter, inter, Whatever those are called, systems, right? <laughs> Interception system Thing is coming down, it goes up, it intercepts it It's different possibilities When is the du'a? Let's say for example Like maybe This is of course like It's I mean it's kind of real too But maybe the the person was It was in their decree That a huge boulder Was going to fall on them Right? But they made du'a And like It intercepted it So what happens then is As the boulder is falling The boulder disintegrates And it falls on them Did it still fall on them? Still fell on them But it disintegrated (laughs) So they say, um, they say that, that's one possibility. I think with COVID this is really, it should be very relevant actually. Because subhanAllah with COVID, like it affected everyone differently. Everyone's different, different situation. And people in the same household, same diet, same everything. One person gets it, it's really bad. The other person gets it, it's like nothing. Other person didn't even know that they had it. It's very like, the decree plays out in very different ways. Uh, another thing they say is that sometimes something bad was decreed to happen to a person. And it happens in their dream, rather than in real life. So like someone, one of the shaykhs we know, sometimes we tell him, it's like, alhamdulillah, it happened in the dream, it's done, it's not gonna happen to you in real life. So, hello, alam, point is, if you wanna read something charitably, you'll find a way to read it. And there's different possibilities. Another thing that's narrated from him from Muhammad ibn Ali and Min Kibri Illa It's a very interesting statement actually. These people are like subhanallah, how do they how did they say it's related? He said that the heart of a person, arrogance does not enter it, except that. Their intellect is decreased, commensurate with the amount of arrogance that they have. Whether it's a little or it's a lot. Okay? It's an interesting statement. Interesting statement. We've talked about maybe 700 times the relationship between the mind and the soul. That these are things that are connected. So it bears repeating. It's always important to bear repeating on this. And you'll see it all the time. See people who are extremely intelligent. Intelligent. And they do something that makes zero sense. And you're like, why? Like, I know you're very intelligent. Or, uh, or they're, they're, they're very, you know, adamant about their opinion. But their opinion's just wrong. And they're right in so many other things, but this thing is clearly wrong. And uh, we always say that Fir'aun, Pharaoh, in the Qur'an, Pharaoh is, is narrated to have said, uh, وَمَا illa sabila سَبِيلَ الرشاد. Pharaoh, he said to his people, "I'm only guiding you to the to the path of guide, of, of righteousness. I'm guiding you to the right path." Pharaoh thought that he was right, guiding to the right path. Because he was so filled with arrogance, you can't see right from wrong. And it's very much that happens, you know. And that's why we, we always say that uh, Ibn Hayyan, who was the chemist, who was a famous chemist in Muslim history, and in the beginning of his work on chemistry. His introduction to his work on chemistry is about spirituality. And his point was that you can't engage even in objective intellectual pursuits if you don't engage in spiritual rectification. You can't do it. Because the arrogance that's in the person's heart will cloud their mind. It affects their thinking. You see it all the time. You know, subhanAllah. Uh, in In the academy you see this stuff all the time. Academics, you know. Who like on something they're very... You know, that's their thing. But on other things, you talk to them, they can't understand anything. And then they take advantage of their students and they abuse the graduate students. They make them do research for them. They don't give them credit. You know, all this kind of stuff always happens. I'm just saying, when an arrogance enters the person's heart, their intellect goes down in accordance with the amount of arrogance that they have in their heart. Subhanallah. And again, it's important to recognize and, and distinguish between intellect and intelligence and, um, and like book smarts very important Okay, like people can, can work really hard and do really well in school and not really be so smart not really be so intelligent right. the Prophet ﷺ was unlettered, he didn't read he didn't write and yet one of the things that we believe as a matter of theology about all of the Prophets is that they have fitana. they have a natural intelligence that's extremely sharp extremely sharp natural intelligence uh, and you'll see this, like when you live life you'll see this You might meet someone who For whatever circumstances, whatever reason They didn't pursue super high levels of education Maybe they, maybe they, they had to drop out of school Maybe they left school for various reasons uh, But they're very very intelligent Very intelligent um, Someone who's like this is Brother Ali the rapper Allah preserve him Brother Ali is an extremely intelligent person He didn't finish high school But you sit with him, have a conversation with him, he's an extremely intelligent person. So uh, practically and just even like uh, ideas wise, book smarts and stuff, even though he can't, it's very difficult for him to read, right? And yet still, he's very intelligent. So, but the issue is we have to take this arrogance out. The arrogance will cloud us from being able to see things as they are. And even if we think on like a, this is true on a overarching level, it's true on a particular level. Like it's true on a kulli, it's true on a juz'i. So it's true in a kulli sense, in the, in, in the sense that someone who arrogance is, is really afflicting them, it will affect their overall intelligence. But we can also see this on particular cases, right? I'm sure we've seen that in our own lives. We have like a particular incident. And in that incident, our, our ego gets involved and we rush to a conclusion. And our conclusion was clouded actually. We didn't actually think about it properly. And immediately, we got upset about it. It Happened to me recently, actually. SubhanAllah. I won't give you the details because it'll give it away. But I made an assumption. In some ways, it was a reasonable assumption. But actually, in reality, it wasn't a reasonable assumption. Okay. Like. In probably like 80% of cases, it would have been true. But this is the thing about it: is you have to do what's, you have to think what's right, you have to do what's right, and take the proper steps, and otherwise, you get smacked in the back of the head and you feel like an idiot. Like this happened, you know. So it turned out actually that it wasn't a reasonable conclusion. And I felt like a dummy afterwards. And it happens, you know. But why? Because there's a little bit of arrogance that gets involved. Like there's a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of ego that gets involved. And the mind stops analyzing things properly. And I didn't actually understand the situation correctly. An Hussein ibn Hassan qal, kana Muhammad ibn Ali yaqool, silahun li'am, qabihun kenam. Silahun li'am, qabihun kinan. Usually I don't make marks to share stuff that is hard to translate. Because this one actually is a little bit complicated. It's, uh, it could be understood in a number of different ways. So we'll just kind of generalize it a little bit. The weapon of the blameworthy person is ugly speech. The weapon of the blameworthy person is ugly speech. So the reason why this is a little bit complicated because you could understand this as referring to a person who's blameworthy, or you could could understand this as referring to Shaytan, Satan. So in the Quran, Allah said, uh, we always quote this verse. Say to my servants to say that which is best, because Satan will sow discord between them. And we always talk about how, you know, when you say, when you don't use the speech that's best, not even the speech that's good or decent or acceptable or whatever, what's best, then Satan makes problems. Shaitan makes problems. it be a small thing. could be a really small thing and then it becomes an angle for shaitan to cause problems, for people to start getting upset and so on. So this is weapon, shaitan's weapon. When you use speech that's not good, then shaitan is like, this is free game. It is open season, open season now of all kinds of possibilities. And this is, you know, uh, it's really important. It's really, really important. It's really important not only for our own spiritual development, it's also really important on a community level. And people are always like, Oh, you know, safe spaces, you guys talk about these things, where'd you get this idea from, so on and so forth. It's very simple. Al Muslim min salima and Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadi. That the, in, in some narrations it's more broad. So it says the Muslim is the one who the Muslims, or in the other narrations, the people as a whole, are safe from their tongue and their hands. The other the other Muslims, the other people are safe from this person's tongue and hands. What does that mean? It means that when you engage with them this your engagement right here is a safe space you don't have to worry about it there's amanah there's safety they're not going to speak to you in ways um, and there's a two-way challenge in this challenge is that what's understood to be appropriate and okay speech is actually largely a matter of culture there's a lot of culture involved in that so what c- one person could think is totally okay the other person could think is totally not okay so for the from the perspective of the speaker, then the, from the perspective of the speaker, they have to uh, try to learn and attend to what is going to be best in terms of speech in the particular context that they're in. And from the perspective of the listener, they should be a little bit forgiving for someone who maybe doesn't come from the same cultural context that they come from. Because maybe they didn't mean it that way, you know. So you might have been offensive, but maybe they don't mean it that way. So when we were studying Arabic, our teachers used to always say that when you study a language, there's five things. You have to have reading, writing, speaking, listening, and culture. And if you don't understand the culture, you can't actually speak the language properly. And, uh, you know, subhanAllah, even up to today, you know, like I started studying Arabic in 2005. And I've been fluent in Arabic for... At least, at some level, for probably like 15 years. But up to today, when I have conversations with people, I always tell them, like, if the conversation starts to get more more serious, I always tell them, like, look, please understand, this is not my native tongue, you know? Like, I might say, my word choice sometimes might be the wrong word choice. Sometimes I use the wrong word. And to me, it seemed like it's the right word, but actually it's the wrong word. It's very offensive. Because they might take it the wrong way, they might... they didn't take it the wrong way i said it the wrong way so it might come off wrong and so but the point is to recognize that the quality of our speech is extremely important to our relationships with one another and learning to speak to each other in ways that are this is not like uh overly you know you're just being too rigid and stuff like that This, this is a matter of like our speech is one of the most important matters of spirituality I mean the Prophet ﷺ in that long hadith where he talks about everything in Islam and then he tells Mu'adh Sayyidina Mu'adh and he tells him at the end like should I not tell you what is the thing that gets people like what is the thing that holds all of this all of these things prayer and fasting and charity and, 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 and jihad and all what is it that holds all of these things in place and he said of course Ya Rasulullah tell us and he said "It's hold this and he held his tongue he said hold this hold your tongue and he said Ya Rasulullah like this is we're going to be held accountable for the things that we say. And he said, nothing gets people thrown in the hellfire on their faces as much as the harvest of their tongues. This is a matter of extreme importance. It's not just like, you know, I can say whatever I want to people and who cares? No, it it matters. And, uh, you know, sometimes we hurt people with these things. Allah forgive us. And Allah, again, always understand, issues are always from two sides. It's two sides. You know, we always say that for example, the Prophet them, taught us that the one who doesn't thank the people is not thankful to Allah, right? And at the same time, we're taught that you shouldn't expect thanks. So how do you reconcile it? You reconcile it by realizing that you're looking from the other side. If you're looking from the side of the person who's doing something good, they're not supposed to expect thanks. If you're looking from the side of the person who's on the receiving side of someone who did good to them, they're supposed to thank them. So depending on which angle you're looking at, you get a different thing. So I as the speaker should be trying to use the best language that I possibly can. And the person who's listening to the speech, then we should try to be forgiving with people uh, as much as we can, as much as it's reasonable to do that, right? Um, We shouldn't be naive and stuff like that, but we can pardon a little bit. Sometimes people make mistakes, things that they're saying, and they don't mean it that way. Also from Abu Ja'far Muhammad Al-Baqir ta'ala anhu He said, by Allah, I swear by Allah, the death of a scholar is more beloved to, to Satan than the death of 70 worshippers. The death of a scholar is more beloved to Satan than the death of 70 worshippers. There's hadith that say this as well, right? It's hadith that talk about that the, the rank of the scholar over the regular person or the or the worshiper or so on and so forth is tremendous, different narrations. Probably some people are having a little bit of a negative reaction inside of themselves right now, hearing that. You don't have to raise your hand. Some people are probably feeling that. Like, I don't know, I mean this is what happens and we turn these people into gods other than God and so on and so forth and everything else and people, you know, when you think about this, but what so and so did this and so and so said that and so on and so forth. By definition, by definition, the person is not a scholar if they do not act upon their knowledge. Okay? So most of the exceptions that you're thinking about are already thrown out. They're not a scholar if they don't act by their knowledge. It's, their rank is gone. That's why, from the first people thrown into hellfire are the scholars, right? You guys know that narration is famous narration. The mujahid, and the scholar, or the qari, and the person who gave charity. These are the three, from the three people that are thrown into the hellfire first. It will be said to them, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Whatever it was, according to their various things. And they'll say, I did it for your sake. And Allah will say, no you didn't, you did it so people would point and they would say that you're charitable. Or they would point and they would say that you're knowledgeable. Or they would point and they would say that you're brave or courageous or whatever. And you got what you wanted, so now there's nothing left for you. So now you're in hell. This is the first category. These are the first categories of people. It's very scary, right? So, like, we agree on this. Uh, One of the first things that I taught at the majlis was Imam al-Ghazali's, or one of the early things we taught was Imam al-Ghazali's chapter on uh, on the book of knowledge from the Ihya. The book of knowledge is like, you would think he's not a scholar you know like it's really i mean you know they said what do they say he wiped the floor with them you know you wiped the floor with the person like they got really it's it's really bad like it's really you would think like man subhanallah he must hate scholars and the reality is that he's speaking to scholars he's telling them like look you have to be careful don't think you're better than people don't think you have a because again from the two sides it's different. You know, a person who's looking up to them, you respect them. For the person themselves, you can't think that you're better than them and stuff like that. Um, so why is, why is this such an issue? And I'll tell you, because a lot of the problems we have is because our understanding of religion is in the wrong place. Or we haven't found answers to the questions that we need answers to. But a lot of times, actually more than the second one, it's actually the first one. Uh, even today I was talking to someone, subhanAllah, and... You know last week we talked about the whole Santa claus 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 Clausization, of Allah, (laughs) you know? Make Make Allah Santa Claus and if you do everything you're supposed to do then you get on the good list and everything you want you should get. People are raised like that, it's hard to change your mind on it, you know, you're raised like that. You're told if you just go to school because the parents wanted to use Allah as a weapon to get whatever they wanted from their children. They wanted their children to work hard in school, they wanted their children to get good jobs, they wanted their children to make a lot of money. So, you know, the easiest way to do that is to use Allah. And instead of using Allah in the sense of like, whatever we do, we should have Ihsan, we should work hard, we should try, we should do our best, we should trust in Allah, all of these things, we use it in a very like weaponized way. So then it starts to mess with the person's psychology. Their their spiritual psychology is now affected. So why, all of that is great for who? All of that is great for who? For shaitan. It's really good. Messed up the person's spiritual psychology It's wonderful. Now they can't actually worship Allah properly. They, they have a lot of things they have to fix before they can get it right. You know? But if if a person learns religion properly, from someone who really understands it properly, it makes a huge difference in their life. Because all of those barriers are gone. You know? So, like sometimes I listen to uh, I'll just say it maybe people can benefit sometimes I listen to Dr. Omar Abdullah and you know if you listen to Dr. Omar you'll notice that I don't know how do I say this like when you when you study in a place like Azhar there's a particular archetype for what the scholar is okay? so the scholar is the person who like, when they speak to you, they quote everything under the sun. And you can't even begin, like you're just blown away by the experience of this person's, like, you're like, how do they do that? How do, like, they, they, just the khatib, the khatib in the masjid that we live next to in, when we were in Egypt. Every Jummah he got up and gave a 30-minute lecture that was entirely quotes with no notes, ever. No notes, ever. It's considered ayin, by the way and maybe if you see me give lectures not lessons but lectures and i don't have any notes and i'm kind of stumbling a little bit is because it's like it's considered aib for azhari to have notes so like you would go to khutbas and stuff and they never have notes and lectures and things you get quotes quran hadith the grading of the hadith who narrated the hadith uh, quotes of all kinds of righteous people all throughout history this book that book for 30 minutes straight it's like all quotes you know so that becomes like your understanding Dr. Omar, when you sit with Dr. Omar and you listen to his lectures and stuff like that, he doesn't do a lot of that actually. If he's reading from his book or something, he will. But he just talks to you about religion. Talks to you about the issue or the topic or whatever else it might be. But every time, subhanAllah, I sit and I listen to Dr. Umar and I think to myself afterwards, subhanAllah, he puts everything in the right place. Put it in the right place. Okay, this, it goes here and this it goes there and this it goes there so that now things can actually develop properly you mm-hmm. know and that's, that's what a scholar does a scholar doesn't just throw a bunch of information at you a scholar in the course of throwing all that information at you will give you the pieces in the right way and put them in the right context so that you can start to grow from that you can build from that so that like a year passes two years passes three years passes five years passes you're not in the same place right even intellectually we're not even talking about spiritually but even intellectually like you shouldn't be in the same place after five years that's that's a problem it means either you weren't paying attention or the person who was teaching you wasn't putting things properly such that you can build on them it's usually some kind of combination of both anyways the death of the scholar is more beloved to shay- Satan shaytan, than the death of 70 worshipers. They also say one of the things about the scholar is that the scho- the, the, what the scholar has to offer extends beyond them. Whereas what the worshiper is doing is for them. So a person is like praying in the night, fasting all the time, stuff like that. They benefit from that. Inshallah they, inshallah they benefit from it and that benefits other people too. But the knowledge really benefits other people. It's immediately beneficial towards towards other people. Allah give us the company of people of knowledge and help us to know them and help us to benefit from them and help us to support them. Um, you know, we really need, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday about this, is that it's really necessary to have multi like if you want proper religious teaching, there's many things that are needed for that, actually. I mean, the easiest thing to do for that is always it's a matter of money, <laughs> right? It's always a matter of money. People can say whatever they want to say. In the end, it's a matter of money. Why was Abu Hanifa able to be Abu Hanifa in addition to his genius and everything else? It's because his family was rich and they had a good business. And he could do whatever he wanted. You did not have to worry about it. Actually, many people, he supported, he supported them. So many of the Hadith scholars and students of knowledge and stuff from his time, he paid for all of them. No strings attached. You just take care of your life. So you can do this you can learn and you can teach and everything else but much of this has to do with like and so how did this play out in Islamic civilizations was that you have to layer this thing okay because a lot of the questions we have I mean I've said this before sometimes we would sit with our Arabic teacher we tell him the questions that people ask in America and he's like subhanallah that doesn't need someone who graduated from Azhar that needs the mufti of a country like that, those are senior mufti level questions they're not easy questions their question and especially in America because now you're dealing with like very complicated things if you're talking about for example like economic questions that Are going like who's gonna face them first people in America culture questions? Uh, idea questions You know all kind of medical questions. Who's gonna hit them? Who's gonna hit first going to hit American Muslims first because usually that's like where the innovation is happening or Western Muslims it's not because they're better. It's because they have more money also so your civilization is more developed and so on and so forth right so but it has to be able to be dealt with at multiple levels meaning if you don't have the masjid for the person to work in like ideally what do you have you have youth programs that a person can work in you have masjids that a person can work in as a junior imam not as a senior imam you have masjids that a person can work in as a senior imam you have research positions that a person can take you have University positions a person can take So on and so forth Otherwise, you don't have all this scaffolding You can never actually get answers to the big questions Because no one will be able to get there To the point that they can answer the big questions right? now, people, Maybe maybe someone has the preparation To be able to answer a big question 10 years down the road They put 20 years into it so far 10 years from now they'll be able to answer the question But the only job for them Is to work in a masjid And leave five subtle and answer the same question every single day about like, did my prayer become invalid because of this or not? They have to answer that every single day. So you'll never get the answer to that question. Someone needs to be there to answer the question of the person on their prayer, absolutely. But if you don't have a scaffolding of positions, you're never going to get answers to bigger questions. Anyways, all of this is related because then, then the person, then the person, then smart people in the community come to you, intelligent people, successful people, and all of the answers that they've gotten into important questions in their life, just feel like nonsense, right? It just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm working in international construction and we have to deal with this and this and this and like products come this way and stock and and the money that's involved and the investments and like how do I handle all these things and you know, how how does the fatwa work in this situation? And then they don't know who to ask so they go ask like their local imam who probably didn't even graduate from like a bachelor's program and they get an answer that doesn't make any sense And they do that like 10 times and all of a sudden the religion doesn't make any sense to them And they won't have anything to do with it So they're like, I'll just ask myself Whatever makes sense to me, that's my religion now That's not really religion in the end But in some ways It's a logical response (laughs) To illogical presentation of religion Anyways, scholars die Scholars die, shaitan is happy SubhanAllah, because it takes so much time too SubhanAllah you know you want someone to answer like serious questions, they're going to spend a lot of years of their life, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, researching, studying, to be able to answer that question. Excuse Anyways, me? Yes. Oh, so you said this is a hadith from Prophet Muhammad that's for No, this is a statement of Muhammad uh, uh, al baqir It's a statement of the person whose biography we're reading. There's other narrations from the Prophet wa sallam, similar meaning some of them stronger some of them weaker I don't know them off the top of my head but the meaning is there so what's your uh, well, My point is perhaps the translation of the scholar as a scholar with all the academics in the ranking happened later on where perhaps it was very affirmative around the time of Mahatma perhaps it meant the aim of the knowing of God versus the, the physical worship. When somebody is alim of Allah, it's not the same as worshiping just physically. Yeah, yeah. It's a good did question. Um, again, generally speaking, the word alim, even later on, they have to have. They're not a scholar if they don't have knowledge of God. So it, they're out, anyways. <laughs> and in the in the Quranic usage, uh, that's the way it is in the Quran. Right? that the ones who really fear Allah are the people of knowledge meaning that there's a connection there um, however even from the time of the Prophet and even from the time of the companions it was known who were the scholars and who were in in even like religious knowledge intellectual knowledge and so on and so forth but there's always a relationship between these two like for example the story of Musa. Yeah. So it was like a a sightedness or a a clear sightedness to understand the circumstances behind things that didn't make sense up front. Yeah. Yeah, these are there's layers to knowledge. So uh sh- she mentioned the story of Khadr alayhi salam or I think they usually say alayhi salam. Anyways Khadr and Musa alayhi salam and uh someone who we gave Milladunna Ilma. We gave him knowledge from us, God says. We gave him knowledge from us. So there's types of knowledge. There's outward knowledge, there's inward knowledge, and then there's like spiritual insight that a person might have. Um, And these are all layers of it. But, you know, when we... And not everyone has all of them. When someone can be a a scholar of the outward, and they'll give you an answer, and, and their answer is sound. But maybe you don't go to them for like spiritual questions You don't go to them for insight on particular cases But the, their knowledge of the law is good right? So there's uh, When we talk about like the four imams When we talk about people like Abu Ja'far Muhammad, al Baqir These are people who had both by, by the agreement Like most of these biographies that were coming through Especially in the early period These are people who had both without a doubt I mean, there were people of tremendous knowledge of God, there were people of tremendous worship, people of tremendous character, at the same time that there were people of tremendous outward knowledge. But all, all throughout Muslim history, there's, there is an understanding and distinction between outward, lo- outward knowledge and inward knowledge. And ideally, the person combines between both. Uh, but for example, like someone could be, uh, just like when we we're talking about outward knowledge, someone could be extremely advanced, and someone could be mediocre in the middle someone could be a beginner same thing in inward knowledge someone could be extremely advanced in outward and inward they're, they're half decent but they're not really there and someone else could be very advanced and, and the outward they just have enough you know so anyways both of these things are, are there uh, there's some good conversation on this in the series that we did on um, I forget what we ended up calling it I want to say something like qualities of a true sheikh or something like that uh Imam Dardir that we have we published the little paper on the website and then we did a series commenting on it. You'll find more there, inshallah. But those are good those are good uh insights. wa <sighs> Muhammad. قال عن أفلح مولى محمد بن علي قال خرجت مع محمد بن علي حاجا فلما دخل المسجد نظر إلى البيت فبكى حتى على صوته فقلت بأبي أنت وأمي إن الناس ينظرون إليك فلو رفقت بصوتك قليلا قال ويحك يا أفلح ولما لا أبكي لعل الله ينظر إلي منه برحمه فافوز بها عنده غدا قال ثم طاف بالبيت ثم جاء حتى ركع عند المقام فرفع راسه من سجوده فاذا موضع سجوده مبتل من دموع so again this is to show this narration is to show the reality so uh, there's a Another term that they'll often use is an outward reality and an inward reality. The outward reality is the Sharia, you know, you follow this rule, that rule, whatever. The inward reality is the Hakiqa, that there's a reality to the there's a reality to the person's relationship with God. It's not just all formalities and and you know check boxes and stuff, but there's a reality to it. There's something real to it. So look at this narration. He sa- this person says, "I went with Muhammad bin Ali on Hajj." When he entered the masjid, he looked at the Kaaba and he began to cry until his voice became elevated and he began to weep loudly. So I said, by my mother and my father, people are looking at you. Maybe you can lower your voice a little bit. He said, what's wrong with you, Aflah? Why would I not cry? Maybe it's that Allah will look upon me with mercy in a single moment in, in this place, basically. The meaning of which is in this place, in this time. Maybe Allah will look upon me in a single moment with mercy. And by that moment, I'll be successful in the hereafter. By that single moment, I'll be successful in the hereafter. So then he went and he made his tawaf. He went around the Kaaba made his tawaf. Then he went to the Maqam Ibrahim. You know, after the tawaf, you go to the area of Maqam Ibrahim, you pray your two And he prayed his two and he raised his head from making sujood. And when he raised his head from his Jude, the entire place that he was, he wa- his head was prostrated in was basically wet from his tears. The whole area was like soaking wet. You know? So there's a reality to this person's relationship. It's not just like he knows the rules or something. There's a reality to that worship. narration says I didn't see the scholars more humbled in front of everyone, anyone than the way that I saw them with Abu Ja'far, same person, Abu Ja'far. and you would see someone who is of very high status in their knowledge, you would see them in front of him as if they're a student uh, as if they're a student and there's people of uh Muhammad ibn Ali, same person, Muhammad ibn Ali, he said, كان لي أخ في عيني So he said, I had a brother, you know, a brother in religion who in my eyes was really tremendous. This person was really tremendous. And he said, the thing that made him tremendous in my eyes was how little the world meant to him. How little the world was in his eyes. doesn't care for these things again the caveat you have to understand what is it that makes care for the world big or great in the eye of the person it's not whether or not they have it if you put it in very succinctly it's not whether or not they have it it's whether or not it has them you understand Um, some people they have the entire world in their hand it means nothing to them it's not in their heart it doesn't mean anything. Millions and millions of dollars and everything else it doesn't mean anything to them. Someone on the way over here sent me a video. I didn't get to watch it yet. <laughs> of a millionaire in the Gambia who spends all of his money for the sake of Allah. Doesn't keep any of it. Spends all of it. There's a lot of money. It doesn't mean anything to him. Someone else, maybe they have very little money, but all of that money is in their heart. So this person, they're actually taken over by that. It it dominates them. It controls them. It's everything to them. So don't don't understand this to mean like. You have to have nothing. You have to be unsuccessful. You have to have no career. You have to have no house. It's not what this is saying at all. It's saying is, who, we used to say, <laughs> oh, that's stupid things. This is when we were When we were like really small kids and we wanted to make fun of somebody, so dumb. We'd be like playing around in the neighborhood or whatever. And you see someone walking a dog and we wanted to make fun of them. Then we would tell them who's walking who. Like who's walking who, and then we like run away. Think we're funny kids, you know. Uh, (laughs) Hope that they don't chase us. Like hope they don't have a pit bull or something. Who's walking who, right? This is the question. Whatever you have in in material wealth and from this life and everything else, the question is, who's walking who? That's the question. Question is not how much do you have, how much do you not have, whatever. Who's walking who? If I have all these things and I'm walking them, you know. I'm building a shelter. I'm taking care of people who are in need. I'm feeding those who are hungry. I'm creating jobs for those who don't have jobs. I'm educating people who can't get... You know, If I'm doing all of those things, then I'm walking that money. But if everything in my life is just about how do I make more money and how do I save more money and how do I keep more money and how do I have all of this stuff and it's never enough and, and every time someone asks me for something, I can't give it away and so on, then, then I'm being walked by that money. And that's a bad state to be in. So what he's saying is that what made this person great in my eyes is that, you know, they didn't care for this stuff, meaning they gave it to whatever needed to be given, they gave it. And actually this narrative from Shaykh Ibn qadir Jinani, one of the greatest spiritual masters of our entire tradition, by agreement. You know, Sufis, non-Sufis, everybody agrees on this one, Sheikh Ibn qadir with Ibn qadir everyone agrees. Uh, he said, I wish that everything, I wish I had everything. Because I would give it to everyone who needs it. And he was known for this. Every single day, he was feeding people, helping people, so on and so forth. And that's what it's for, right? So I have this thing, alhamdulillah, I have this thing. It's so one of the people you can have uh, like a halal jealousy for, right? Is a person who has wealth and they spend it in what's good. They have wealth and they have knowledge. So this is the best case. They have wealth and they have knowledge, so they know how to put the money where it belongs, and they spend it in what's good to be spent on. And this is how, like... Ideally, this is how civilization is built. Why? It's all actually greed. You know, like a lot of our problems, actually, they're greed. They're spiritual problems. Yeah, you could have rules around them, and maybe the rules would help a little bit, but in the end, they're spiritual problems. It's a spiritual problem. Now, how can it be the case? Why in America? Why? Does a person have to be worried about getting into a car accident and going to the hospital? And being in debt for the rest of their life. Why do they have to be worried about something like that? Does it make any sense? Other than, there's a a small number of people actually, who are extremely greedy. Extremely greedy. Oh, but I don't want to give charity, and I don't want to give donations and handouts. Okay, well then, then let's move all the people who need something onto your property then. You want (laughs) to deal with it. Why? Because you can move somewhere else and build a high fence and everything else. And live in your own thing. Because you're greedy. But, you know, it, it, the way that Islamic civilization was moving over hundreds of years was that you build endowments, those endowments take care of people. Who shouldn't be paying for everything? You used to Certain hospitals in the Muslim lands, you go to them, they pay you when you leave the hospital. Can you believe that? They pay you when you leave the hospital. Is it really that hard to do? It's not that hard to do. If you have billions and billions of dollars. It's not that hard to do. I'm sure you can figure out a way. You figure out a way to make billions of dollars. I'm sure you can figure out a way for people to go to the hospital and not end up $500,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Because, like, God forbid they got sick. You know, it's horrible. It's a disgusting, horrible thing. Uh, but if you have endowment, it takes care of it. And the thing about Muslim endowments is that they were permanent. The fiqh on it, that's why you're able to do this. The fiqh on the endowment is that it's permanent. Forever. Like, lil-abad. It's permanent forever. What Until colonialism comes and dictatorial governments come and they steal all the endowments and then you're done. But like in terms of sharia-wise, it's forever. So they say like at the dawn of colonialism in places like Egypt, places like Turkey, a third to a quarter of the agricultural land was endowment. What that means is, All of the profits Can you imagine Like how much agriculture Is being done In a place like Egypt Or Turkey A quarter to a third Of all of the profit That's coming from That agriculture Is going to people in need Or going to projects That help people in need At some level Either education Or health Or whatever else It might be None of that stuff Has to be paid for Why am I even saying that Oh the dunya this world, and like, how do you interact with the world? Allah Allah alayhi wa sallam wa, sallam, wa, sallam, wa sallam. go back and forth on these things. wa sallam Muhammad. ibn Muhammad this is al Sadiq, by the way. Jaffar Sadiq and Muhammad al baqir Jaffar al-Muhammad, an Abihi, a Nuhu Kani Yakunu Fijofil Lay. A Martini fellam atemr. Was a Jertani fellam as dejir. Fellam as dejir. Hadha Abduk, Beni Yadik, Wala ateth. It's beautiful. He says, Jaffar. Says about his father, that in the middle of the night, when he's praying in the middle of the night, what would he say? Speaking to Allah. Speaking to Allah, what would he say? he say, you commanded me, and I didn't listen to your command. And you warned me, and I didn't take heed. Okay? And then he would say, this is your servant in front of you, I don't make any excuses beautiful so if this is your servant in front of you I don't make any excuses that's also a big issue in spirituality right it's not a good spiritual practice to always have an excuse it's true sometimes you might have one but it's not a good practice to always have one it's better practice to not have one even when you have one because then you get in the habit of that. You get in the habit of always blaming someone else. I'm grateful to my father, you know. He came up in the generation of tough love. (laughs) My father was not someone who... He's not someone up to today who appreciates excuses. And again, it's sometimes an issue of what side are you looking from? If I'm looking from the other side, someone maybe is being oppressed, there's structural issues and so on and so forth, we stand up for them and we say that there's issues in the system. But... If I'm talking to myself, I don't want to make excuses. So I need to live. I need to work, and I need to live, and I need to make it happen. My, my father, had always, anytime I complained to him about the coach in basketball, he said, I don't want to hear it. And it wasn't an issue. And probably he called the coach and talked to him. But he's not going to tell me. Right? So I, mean, I don't hear it. Just make yourself good enough so that the coach cannot not play you. That's it. That's all I expect from you. To make yourself good enough so that the coach cannot not play you, right? And He's gonna put you in no matter what. Even if he hates you, he's gonna put you in because he wants to win games. So if you're like that, then he's gonna put you in. The teacher this, the teacher that, we didn't get enough time, so on and so on. No, I don't wanna hear it. What you needed to do, you figure out. What you needed to do, you do it. Don't make excuses. Again, sometimes you might have a valid excuse. Today, when I came here today, I was going to be 20 minutes late. Because there was at least an hour of traffic at the time when I left. Like, Not when I left, actually. At a certain point when I was driving, traffic went crazy. And I was going to be late 20, 30 minutes late. I could come and be like, you know, there was really bad traffic. I'm sorry I'm late. Or I could come and say, I should have left the house earlier. I'm sorry I'm late. One is better for me, one is worse for me, actually. Worse for me for myself, not worse for me in your eyes. In your eyes, people may be like, oh, it's okay, Yeah, had traffic. It's a, you know, you make excuses. It's fine. It's nice of you. But what's better for me is to say, no, I shouldn't have done that. I should have left on time. I mean, I did leave on time, but it's not the point. You should have left early. You should have left early, right? Alhamdulillah, I checked the traffic. It came after. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, anyways, the whole thing. Alhamdulillah. I. Person that had office hours, mashallah, your dua must have been answered. Traffic just disappeared at some point. We got here on time, alhamdulillah. But, uh, you know, point is, don't make excuses. His dua is what? He's talking to Allah. He's saying, Allah, you told me to do things and I didn't do them. And you told me not to do things and I didn't listen. Obviously, also, look at the humility of this person. Yeah, these are people who are not known to have done anything bad in their entire life. <laughs> like, you're not, like, they were ex- exemption, ex- exceptional people. He's like, you know, this is his humility. He said, but I didn't do it. And I'm abduk baini yadaykh, la'a'atadir. I'm your servant, I'm in front of you. I don't make excuses. I think about this for Ramadan. For Ramadan, we have about half of Ramadan left, last 10 nights coming. Allah, this is a month, it's very blessed. You tried to do some things, came up short. You told us this is good, you told us that's good. I'm not doing as much as I should, just things I shouldn't have done. But I'm your servant, Allah. The beautiful part of this is that I'm your servant, Allah. I'm your servant. You know better. See, I'm in front of you, ya'll. Allah. I'm in front of you. I don't make excuses. It's just me and you, Allah. Forgive me. Allah. <coughs> I love how you get so many narrations from his son. فَقَرَ أَبِي بَغْدَةَ Fakala فَقَالَ لئن ردها الله عز وجل لأحمدنه محامدا يرضاها فما لبث أن أتى بها بسرجها ولجامها فركبها فلما استوى عليها وضم عليه ثيابه رفع رأسه إلى السماء وقال الحمد لله لم عليها فقيل له في ذلك it's actually, it's very, um, again, it, there's a reality to the understanding of the person's servanthood in front of Allah. So he says what? My father, he lost a mule or like a donkey or something, he used to ride. So he said, I swear by Allah that if he returns this animal to me, I will praise him in a way that is pleasing to him. Okay? I swear by Allah that if this animal comes back to me, he brings it back to me, I will praise him in a way that is pleasing to him. Very little time passed, the animal was brought back to him with its reins and with its saddle and everything. And he got up on it and his clothes were straightened out, everything was fine. And he raised his head to the sky And he said, Alhamdulillah. That's it. (laughs) That's the entirety of it. He said, Alhamdulillah, and that's it, nothing more. And they were like, they mentioned it to him, like you said you were going to do this or that. He said, did I leave anything out? I made all of the praise for Allah. That's it. Like that's it. That is it. This is one of the things they say in Surah Al-Fatiha. That if someone really understands, for example, they, understand, they say, bismillahir rahmanir Rahim In the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. And they really understand that statement, then their heart will basically explode out of wanting to express gratitude to Allah. Right? And then they'll realize, there's not actually any way that I can express gratitude to Allah that is befitting for Him. Subhanak, the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, Subhanak. Oh, La nuhsi thala'an alayk, anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. O Allah, glorified are you. We can't praise you in a way that's befitting of you. Uh, you are as you praised yourself. You are as you mentioned about yourself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, they'll say that. Did you, get, you say, Basmila, you get to this point. And then the only thing you can do is say, Alhamdulillah. And that's the best way to praise Allah. It's the best way. Why? Because anything that we praise Allah is insufficient. So what do we have? We have what he gave us to praise him with, which is Alhamdulillah. And that's it. That's the entirety of the whole thing. So he said, I'm going to praise him in a way that's pleasing to him. And then he got it. He said, Alhamdulillah. That's it. There's nothing more to it. Alhamdulillah. (coughs) (coughs) On Abi Jafur. محمد بن علي قال ما من عبارة أفضل من عفة بطن أو فرج وما من شيء أحب إن الله عز وجل من أن يسأل وما يدفع وما يدفع القضاء إلا الدعاء وإن أسرع إن خيرة وإن أسرع إن ثواب البر وأسرع الشر عقوبة البغي وكفاب مري عيبا That's an interesting SubhanAllah What a statement SubhanAllah I'm going to try to translate it Hopefully I don't destroy it uh, Abu Ja'far he said Muhammad al-Baqir he said There's no act of worship that's better than temperance in one's stomach and private parts. Okay? Temperance in one's stomach and private parts. Chastity in one's stomach and private parts. Meaning what? Meaning I don't put stuff in my stomach that shouldn't be in my stomach. And when I put things in my stomach, I don't overeat. That's temperance in one's stomach. Basic level. As we go into iftar time. With... Halal tacos for iftar. It's a good opportunity to make jihad. Against yourself. Not against the people serving you food. Please. Please let us be a community that doesn't do what you see in so many other places. Don't fight each other in the food line. Don't be ill-mannered towards the people who came here. The people who came here, they're serving the food today. It's Easter for them. Right? They came here they 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 agreed to come here and make this food and serve the community of course they're getting it's their job but they're still here on Easter so don't like be respectful be polite so on and so forth when the volunteers give you stuff be polite to them and volunteers of course they'll be polite too and if they don't you talk to them (laughs) we'll talk to them but they're always polite I know that so we have to be good to each other be patient with each other so he said what temperance in your stomach Temperance in your stomach and temperance in your private parts. It's very important. Nobody wants to talk about this issue anymore because it's basically like open season on promiscuity everywhere, right? Everyone's dating. Everyone's looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. Everyone's talking to people they shouldn't be talking to. Everyone's talking to them in ways they shouldn't be talking to them. Everyone's touching things in people ways they shouldn't be touching them. Everyone, nobody wants to talk about it anymore. Our religion is very strict on this. It's very strict. You cannot like it if you don't want to like it. That's for you to figure out. But our religion is very strict on this. And having served the community actively for the last 10 years in positions of leadership, I have every day that passes, I have more and more certainty that Allah is al-Hakim. That Allah is wise and he has reasons for what he does. Subhanahu wa ta'ala and there's wisdom in it. But it's good to be it's good to be humble uh, shy. It's good to be shy. It's good to have a little bit of like, I don't want to do that in front of people. I don't want to act that way in front of people. I don't want to have that kind of relationship. I don't want to do this. I don't, it's good. It's good to do that. And honor yourself. If that's what you're about, honor yourself and do that. So there's a temperance in these two things, best worship. Then what does he say next? There's nothing more beloved to Allah than for him to be asked. And the decree is not um, deterred except by prayer, dua, right? Nothing's more beloved to Allah than we ask Him. Ask Allah. Everyone else when you ask them, they get upset with you. Especially if you ask them over and over again. Allah gets upset if you don't ask Him. It's actually a hadith that says this. Allah gets upset if you don't ask Him. Just ask Him. Ask Him, ask Him, ask Him. Ask, make dua, make dua, make dua. Inshallah, will change that. The fastest thing, the fastest good thing and reward is piety. It's righteousness, birr. Birr is like all-encompassed word for good character and righteousness. That you take care of the oppressed, you help those who are in need, you maintain family relations, you serve the people, You don't seek to be served. All of these kind of things. All of this is from birr. So the, the fastest deed that you get rewarded for is this piety and righteousness. And the fastest thing in punishment is oppression. The fastest thing in punishment is oppression. To exceed the rights of someone else. To exceed the rights of someone else. Allah forgive us. Allah help us give us the ability to see when we oppress others. And he said, it's enough of a disgrace for a person that they recognize faults in others that they are blind to in themselves. It's enough of a disgrace for a person that they recognize faults in others that they are blind to in themselves. And that they command people to do things that they are unable to do. Or that they... they, they Basically they give them a hard time About things that they can't get out of This happens a lot too Someone's in a situation You know Someone uh, works And they have a job that Requires them to Serve alcohol for example Which normally you're not allowed to do They can't find any other job And their family Needs the money And this is how they're going to pay rent And buy a little bit of rice, rice to eat And Someone comes to them and gives them a hard time about it all the time. Brother, if you really believed in Allah, if you really trusted Allah, if you really feared Allah, you would just trust Him and you would rely on Him. And you would give this up and you would just trust in Allah. No, you would shut your mouth. That's what you would do. So you don't understand what you're saying. A person is in a situation, they can't get out of it. You don't give them a hard time about that. That's That's not right. And another thing that's really bad, disgraceful, is to harm the person that you're sitting with with something that's not their business. Interesting, huh? Someone's sitting with you. We mentioned this last week. Someone's sitting with you. You're in company together. You're enjoying some food, whatever else it might be. They're stuck with you now. Whatever you choose to talk about, they're stuck with you. It's like when you go to the khutbah. You're stuck with the khatib stuck with them. You come, you come to the this on Sunday night, you're stuck with me. You can kind of leave. You know, khatib is a little bit different. You're stuck. But the point is, like, you're with the person, you harm them with something that's not even beneficial. To, it doesn't matter to them. It's not their business. They don't need to be worried about it. They don't need to care about it. They don't need to know about it. But now you're harming them with this thing. So the idea is that when we're in conversation with someone, again, like there's there's a really high merit to being able to make simple conversation it's just pleasant and it's it's okay it's just pleasant conversation not every conversation needs to be you know sometimes people they get upset about the standard thing in american culture is you don't talk about religion you don't talk about politics and people say like oh you know it's not there's a wisdom in that you realize that right there's a wisdom in that so that when you sit not every time you sit with the person you need to argue with them and make them uncomfortable not every conversation needs to be without... Yeah, sometimes you need to have hard conversations. It's true. But not every conversation needs to be like that. You know, you sit down after a whole day of fasting and everything. Let people eat their food, enjoy one another's company. Talk about things that make them happy. And then, you know, other things may come up. Alhamdulillah, they come up. But uh, definitely don't things, do things like sit down with them and be like, Did you hear about so-and-so? They did this and this and this. They have no business knowing that and you're harming them. It's very disgraceful. Don't do that. Yeah, we're going to finish him today. One person. Alhamdulillah. <coughs> he said to the people, he said to them, Do you, with your own hand, reach into the purse of your brother, or the bag of your brother, and take what you need? Take whatever you want? They said, No. He said, Then you're not truly brothers like you claim you are. Huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you just stick, you know, the bag is here. Can you just come to my bag, take whatever you need? You can, by the way. You probably won't find much, but go ahead. <laughs> come to the bag, take whatever you need. If you don't do that, you're not actually brothers like you claim you are. It's a lot of narrations like that. Can the person just come into your home, take whatever they need and go? If not, then you're not actually brothers or sisters the way that you say that you are. There's an important caveat here is that that level of brotherhood or sisterhood is not really required with everybody. All right? Don't just like do that to random people. But someone who you're actually, you know, you have a mutual understanding. You're on this journey together. You're trying to do good together, so on and so forth. should be some openness in that. The goal, for example, is that you have people in your life that you can give them a copy of the key to your house and they know that they can come anytime. You know, they should check to make sure you're not like, you know, it's appropriate. But you should feel like if they come, they can just come. There's maybe like a broader societal comment on this one also. That like, you know, this hadith about the Prophet there was something that the believer is not a believer. If they go to sleep at night and their neighbors have hunger in their stomach. They go to sleep, their stomach is full and their neighbors are hungry. It's a scary hadith. But there's maybe like a broader societal lesson in this too. Like if the people around you don't have a right to take something from you when they need it. And you don't really need it. You're not really brothers. Like there's something missing there. And you want event you know, it's ideally we have a community of people of human beings who can do that at some level. Allah help us. كان يدخل إليه إخوانه أهناك كان uh, 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 يدخل إليه إخوانه فلا يخرجون من عنده حتى يطعمهم الطعام الطيب ويكسوهم الثياب حسنا ويهب لهم الدراهم قال فاقول له بعض ما تصنع <تصفيق> it's a nice expression فيقول يا ما يؤمن في الدنيا بعد المعارف والإخوان SubhanAllah His servant, she said His brothers would come to him You know, his brothers Would come to him And they wouldn't leave Except that they've been fed nice food And they've been clothed nice garments And they've been given money And the servant would say to him Some of what you've done (laughs) Like maybe some of what you've done Would have been sufficient Didn't have to be all of that And he said to her, O Salma, what hope do we have in this world after our acquaintances and our brothers and sisters? Like this is what we have all these things for. So what are you saying, right? So we have, alhamdulillah, Allah gave us these things, so we have them for. We don't have any hope except in our brothers and sisters. Give them some food, give them some drink, give them some clothes, give them some money, take care of their needs. That's, That's our hope, that's all we have last quote on Abu Ja'far he said know the love that your brother has for you By the, know the love that your brother has in his heart no, hold on let me translate this right know the love that your brother has in his heart for you or sister by what you have in your heart for them. Okay? Know the love that they have in their heart for you by the love that you have in your heart for them. Be the change that you want to see in the world. SubhanAllah, always uh, uh, the One of our teachers was recently saying, was giving a reminder and he said, said basically along the lines of, the heart of the believer has room for everybody. The heart of like the sincere believer has room for everybody. We might deal with them in different ways. Even the oppressor. We have room in our heart for the oppressor. We want them to be guided. We want them to fix their situation, so on and so forth. It doesn't mean you let them get away with their oppression. You stop them in their oppression, but you want good for them, something in your heart for them. One of the one of the beautiful things about that is that if you don't do that, you will probably be an oppressor. If you're put in that position, you will probably be an oppressor. So there's a know the heart that you, you know the love that they have for you. Have it in your heart. If you have this deep love for them in your heart, insha'Allah, they have that same love for you. It's very beautiful. He died in 117 after Hijrah. وَهُوَ ابْنُ I love this expression in Arabic. And he is a child of seventy-three years. Uh, he's a young person of seventy-three years old. Yeah? Seventy-three years old died in one seventeen after hijrah. Radul Ta'ala Muhammad wa InshaAllah, next week we will do Omar ibn Abdul Aziz. Omar um, Ibn Abdul Aziz, the righteous Khalifa Just this is a preparatory date. Don't eat it yet. Thank you. Preparatory. 7:24. You have 13 minutes still. Just keep it with you. Any questions or comments or anything anyone wants to make? Okay. Are you are you sitting or you need something? donation reminder. Yeah. Ah, good, 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 good. I'll do it. All right. Before you're allowed to ask any questions, this is your friendly community reminder that community organizations run on your donations. And the month of Ramadan is a great